0: Hey gang, Rick Lee James here. I just wanted to remind you as we begin today's podcast that my new live album and DVD, Basement Psalms Live, is available at rickleejames.com. You can also get it for a limited time as a digital download at getmopix.com. That's G-E-T-M-O-P-I-X.com. Only $5.99 for the full uncut digital concert. You can watch it right on your mobile device from getmopix.com. Make sure to stop by RickLeeJames.com for more information on everything pertaining to my ministry, my music, what's going on in my life. Thanks for listening to Voices in My Head podcast, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. Live right from Springfield, Ohio. It's Voices
1: in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. Hi, Rick James. Hi, Rick
0: James. Rick Lee James, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. If you hear this voice today, do not turn in the way, no. Welcome back to episode number 73 of Voices in My Head. I am your host, Rick Lee James, and this is a part two podcast. If you didn't get to hear part one, which is episode number seventy-two, the title is WWJ. K. That stands for What Would Jesus Kill? Uh, we had such a good conversation that we put it into two parts. My guest today, which was the same guest I had last week, uh, is Ben DeBono from the Sci Fi Christian Podcast. I highly recommend you go and listen to the Sci Fi Christian Podcast. It's really good, very entertaining, and uh, they do a lot of hard work to actually put together a great show. Uh, I think they're averaging like two shows a week, something like that, which is way more than I'm able to handle at this point. I can can barely do one at this point, but I love every chance that I have to do it. Uh, this week is part two of What Would Jesus Kill? WWJK. I know it sounds like kind of a uh, strange name for an episode, but it's all uh, asking a question of how to be more like Jesus. What does it mean? Did Jesus kill anything? You know, last week we talked about things like, you know, do you think Jesus ever killed a bug? Uh, did Jesus eat animals? Did uh, did Jesus kill plants, so to speak? I mean, you'd have to, to a certain extent. But we're asking a question, what does it mean to be more like Jesus we didn't really have a lot of like disagreements last week on the podcast. This week, a little bit more so. Uh, ben and I uh, had a, a, an interesting conversation. We didn't see quite eye-to-eye on some things. And there's actually a few things I'd love to have Ben back and, and chat about again, um, because I, I think both of us would probably like more time to expand on our answers but didn't have uh, quite enough time to do it. Wanted to let you know, you can call in and uh, leave a message for the podcast. Maybe there's a comment about a previous show you would like to leave. Uh, It can be positive, it can be negative, but just keep it clean. Uh, 937-505-0162. I think that gives you about three minutes to leave an audio message on there, so if you want to hear your voice on one of the next Voices in My Head podcast, give us some feedback there. Also, uh, we can could always use your feedback on iTunes. Uh, positive reviews really do help us to move up higher in the rankings. So if you have a chance, you can go to iTunes and leave us a review, or even on Stitcher. That would be great. Um, can't think of much else other than I want to make a quick announcement this next Friday. Not today, but the 21st. Uh, Friday the 21st, I will be in Indianapolis, Indiana at the Indiana Convention Center Downtown. Uh, Friday, June 21st at 11 o'clock a.m., I'm doing a half hour concert on the showcase stage at the Church of the Nazarene General Assembly and Conventions. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you can be there. You can find out more details at rickleyjames.com. But I did want to make you aware of that. I know some of our listeners are in the Indianapolis area. So if you have a Friday morning free and you want to come out and be a part of this, um, there's several thousand people that will show up for this event. And I'm hoping to have a lot of them at my concert that day there at General Assembly in downtown Indianapolis. So I hope we can see you there walk up to me if you see me at one of these conventions, because uh, I always enjoy conversations with people. Well, without any further hesitation, we're going to get into part two of What Would Jesus Kill? W J.K. Uh, again, it was my privilege to have Ben De Bono on the podcast. It's a little more controversial today, I think you're going to find, and uh, and that's fine. It's okay to do that, but we both have uh, strong opinions and, and feelings on the matter, and uh, we, we kind of ended it with uh, with Ben saying, well, um, maybe you'll make me a pacifist, and I'll make you a Catholic, and uh, I don't know. Maybe that's a pretty good trade. I, I sure do like the Catholics an awful lot. And I like my friend Ben a whole lot, and I'm so glad that he was able to come on the show and have this discussion with me. So, all right, let's move into it. Part two of WWJK. Moving on to the next uh, topic that we have, we've talked about so far, uh, we've talked about plants, we've talked about bugs, we've talked about animals and sacrifice. And we're moving into a question that is probably more hotly debated than any of these above. And, and believe me, if you were to read articles, look online, go to some um, actual you know gatherings of people who are vegetarians or things like that, things do get pretty heated. Um, but I, I would say none of those compare to what we're going to talk about next. In the topic of what would Jesus kill, we're going to move into people and uh and this is one that um, boy, it almost makes me nervous to talk about sometimes, not with you, but but with some people, because I feel like uh, people get so vitriolic about it and become so um, so impassioned and even filled with rage at times when they think about it. Um, because at times uh, we we want Jesus to fit into our categories uh, as citizens. Of a certain country or um, a certain political leaning or something, and the fact is, we we really can't make Jesus fit into any of those things. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we need to think about what it means um, for us to conform all those things to the life of Christ. Um, so uh, let's let's just go ahead and hear as we begin your thoughts, Ben. Your your just initial thoughts to get the discussion going. What would Jesus kill in the category of people?
1: You know, this has been a a very interesting topic for me uh, as I've gone through my conversion process to Catholicism, because not that I was, you know, somebody was callous towards life or anything like that before, uh, but the Catholic Church famously has a very strong ethic for human life, and... There were areas where it, uh, it really challenged me uh, in terms of what my positions were when I, I came in, probably most notably capital punishment, where I was pro-capital punishment prior to my conversion. Uh, the church's position is that capital punishment should only be used if it is the only way to defend human life, uh, which is virtually no circumstance in the modern world, but, you know, I, I kind of think of that as the Joker exception where, you know, in Batman comics, the Joker's always getting out and he instantly starts killing people. So the prison system obviously doesn't work for him. So it's kind of the Joker exception uh, in terms of the death penalty. But besides that, the the church is adamantly opposed to capital punishment. And that was something that when I went through my conversion process, I made a commitment to really taking seriously the church's teachings, not in a way that was just kind of being a mindless automaton where the church says this and now I'm going to basically become a Catholic fundamentalist and uh, just go right along with it without thinking through it, but in a way that was about really absorbing that teaching, wrestling with it, thinking through what it means, how it uh, relates to what I've believed previously uh, and it challenged me, and it changed me uh, very dramatically to the point where uh, I would say I'm absolutely against capital punishment now, and that as a result of that wrestling process over a series of months, my ethic of life has become uh, much different, and I would argue much stronger than it used to be.
0: Hmm. And and that is a very interesting thing. When I When I initially asked that question last week on Facebook about, you know, you think Jesus ever killed a bug? Um I, I did mention at one point, I said, you know, I I feel like everybody's joking in their comments, but I'm actually asking a serious question, you know. And I, and I said, is it possible, you know, if we're going to talk about a consistent ethic of life and especially human life, can you be uh, pro-life when it comes to the unborn and then at the same time pro-death when it comes to the death penalty? Right. Uh, and – and you know, a lot of people chimed in. Well, of course you can. There's no, there's no division whatsoever. Certainly, you know, because it has to do with guilt. Um, and that, I think that may be a little bit of an oversimplification because, uh, in terms of guilt, we all share in that. You know, it seems like we all share uh, a form of guilt on some level. And um, and if grace had not been bestowed upon us by God, uh, we would be um in, in a place of despair, I would not like to be in. So in thinking about the death penalty and, and whether we would be pro-life or both, uh, the death penalty is one that I, I have kind of changed my view on as well over the years, not because I've become a Catholic, but just because I've been trying to think more um, about in terms of, of Jesus myself. And and what that would mean? Um, it's interesting. You you know you you mentioned that Joker scenario. Uh, and why do they just keep putting him back in that asylum, Arkham Asylum? I <laughs> you know?
1: Right. It's the most <laughs> incompetent prison system in the world. You
0: know? <laughs> they they know everybody there is corrupt. They know that you know Doctor Arkham is just you know doing experiments on people and whatever. So I don't know, but. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but, That's why I
1: think that exception only works in a comic book scenario. <laughs> probably, you know, exactly. in, in the real world, we can find a prison that will hold the guy well enough where we don't have to resort to capital
0: punishment. That's right. We're taking him to Blackgate this time. <laughs> Let's not take him to exactly. Um, but but that is interesting, and I, I it, it would have to enter into a conversation about prison reform and all kinds of things. We don't really have time for it right now, um, but it is an interesting discussion. I I would like to think that. If there's ever a way to um, invite this person back into their humanity in some way, which is, in my opinion, a very good definition of what forgiveness is, yep. um, if there's any way that we can – oh, it seems like so we're getting some getting feedback. Some feedback. But, um, that's better. Are you still there?
1: Yep, I'm still here.
0: Oh, okay. Something happened. I got real feedbacky for a second. But um but I guess, you know, a good I a definition for me that I got from a book by Brian Zahn called Unconditional uh would be that forgiveness is offering a person a chance to, to re enter their humanity again. And um I think what we usually want to do is just um, understandably so Uh, We want wrath, and we want vengeance, and we want the same thing carried out upon a person that they carried out upon us. Um, The only problem with that is it it leaves grace completely out of the equation. Um, It's something I totally understand. I can remember shortly after 9-11 happened and when everybody was wanting to sign up and go into the army and do whatever they could to go stop terrorism and things like that. There is this understandable side of it where you want to go, they did it, let's make them pay. Yeah. Um, and it's not a matter of of a person not being accountable or even being held accountable to that. But in my view of things anyway, you get back to what it says about the animals, I would not be the one willing to throw the switch, so to speak. But at the same time, um, I would want to give a person every possible opportunity that we could Just as a follower of Christ, to somehow be redeemed and find their way back into their full humanity again. Um, I I don't know that that's always possible with every person. um, You think about somebody like, um, oh, Helter Skelter, I can't think of his name. Charles Charles, Charles Manson. Charles Manson. It's funny, I thought of Helter Skelter and I couldn't think of Charles (laughs) Manson. Um, But someone like him who, you know, mentally just seems to be so gone, I don't know that there's a way he ever. Could be back in his right mind again. I just am not sure that that's even a possibility. And yet at the same time, um, if there is a way to hold him, like you said, um, you know, how how far do we go to to ensure um, that this person stays alive? So it's it's not an easy question. It's not one that I want to claim I have all the answers to. But it's it's a it's a conversation that I respectfully like to enter into because I feel like it's a seriousness when we when we talk about life if we're going to talk about um, a, a consistent ethic of human life we can't just think about the unborn we have to think in that realm as well
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and I think even if we were to say with somebody like Charles Manson even if we were to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he doesn't have a chance Uh, which, as you said, is impossible for us to ultimately know. But even if we we go there for the sake of argument, it's still a human life, you know, and it still is deserving of that protection of dignity. Uh, And I I think that we need to have an ethic that says we want to maximize the protection of life from conception to natural death. Um, You know, I do think, as you were talking about people who, as you and I both were, people who would be, you know, maybe anti or pro-death penalty, anti-abortion. Is there a distinction there? Probably. Um, But as you said, it gets oversimplified so much in a way that's not helpful. And I think that the, the better way to or the way that people need to be looking at it is rather than saying, well, we can establish a distinction. So now, we can just rest comfortable with both these positions is to say, well, even if there's a distinction there, is that distinction great enough to, to justify the killing of human life? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that what we need to arrive at is saying that even if we can say this person is guilty, they have done a crime, they are under the sentence of the law uh, in a way that isn't true of – children of the unborn of people who haven't committed those crimes uh they're still human life it's even if somebody who's as heinous as charles manson it's still a human life that is made in god's image and if we can protect that without endangering other innocent lives i think we have a moral responsibility
0: to do so Hmm. very interesting now ben you're you're familiar with uh, an album i put out called basement psalms live
1: oh yes i i was a big fan of it. I, I uh, completely love it. I, which was, as I mentioned in my Amazon review, was a surprise because I, uh, I'm not a big fan of Christian music usually. Uh, so to find something that not only was enjoyable but that really connected with me that I, I loved was a, a, a big treat.
0: Well, I appreciate that, and I I actually didn't just mention that to get a little plug there, but I do appreciate. Well, hey, I'm always plug. happy to help. <laughs> but I was wondering if if you, because I've asked some of my other um, theology friends if if they noticed um, an absence of any particular kind of psalm on that album, because I did do two songs, uh, two psalms from each of the five sections of the psalms on the album. Um, did you did you notice an absence of a particular kind of psalm on the album?
1: Uh, I didn't when I was listening to it, but now that I'm, you know, hearing you, I think it's fairly obvious where you're going with it. That we get these psalms that are, I don't know what you'd call them, the
0: uh, the let's
1: go uh, kill the enemies psalms. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think the technical term is the imprecatory psalms. Okay. Um, but but yeah, there there is a the reason I mentioned that album, and I I actually just finished writing a book that's going to be a companion to that album. It's being edited right now, and well, that's one of the yeah, I'm very excited about it. Um, I hope it will be good uh, and sell at least three copies. But um, <laughs> but anyway, one thing that I talk about in the book, there is an absence of the imprecatory psalms uh, because I simply don't know what to do with them. <laughs> um,
1: yeah.
0: I, I look at them, and I think um, – I do believe that the psalms are a prayer book, and I do believe in many ways – um, undoubtedly, they were Jesus' prayer book. There's just too many instances where, when Jesus is saying prayers, he's quoting Psalms, um, even on the cross. You know, so I'm looking at these and I'm wondering, okay, if I'm going to pray these, not just as a person of faith, but I want to pray these Psalms as a person who has been transformed by Christ and is being transformed and is being renewed, then. I'm then I even need to look at the Psalms in a new way. And, uh, so I looked at something like the imprecatory Psalms. I'm not convinced that just because something's in the Psalms that Jesus endorses it. Uh, and, and, and when I, when I look at that, I think of passages that talk about you know how how wonderful to to dash the infants of the enemies against rocks and to bathe in their blood, and uh, you know I mean things that that like wow I really have a hard time seeing Jesus pray this. <laughs> you
1: know. What you you and, couldn't make a good worship song out of that one? Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: Wouldn't that? be Maybe that's the sequel album, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, and I I wish I could remember it was. It wasn't even in the Psalms. It was an Old Testament passage I was reading earlier uh, this week. Um, And it was talking about, you know, I gave the enemy no mercy. Uh, They cried out to you, God, for help because I was, you know, basically I was destroying them so badly and causing them such pain. And yet you didn't hear them, Lord, and I just destroyed them. (laughs) And um, I think about those passages and I think, wow, that really messes with my theology of Christ. Um and and it's it really is is a, a difficult conversation to enter into when we think about uh, people because I am of the mind when I ask the question who would Jesus kill, um, I just want to say flat out nobody, <laughs> you know, right. I can't ever in, in any scenario in my mind. I can't see Jesus carrying a gun. I can't see Jesus blowing the enemy away. I can't see Jesus, you know, coming at us with vengeance, especially to the point of where he himself offered himself as a sacrifice, submitted to the authorities, to even to death on a cross, coming back with forgiveness, arms open wide in a different way. Um, so to enter into this next part of the conversation, um, and I know that you've been uh, influenced even in your... Uh, conversion into Catholicism to thinking in some different ways. Um, I have been influenced by people like Thomas merton, um, people like John howard Yoder, um, Stanley Haawass different ones uh, to the point that I have uh, become at least I like to think of myself as a pacifist and i and I know you're you're not there completely yet as we have discussed before uh, but it's partially out of out of these things that we're discussing and are about to discuss right now. So I'm really looking forward to this part of the conversation, um, to maybe even figure out what that means, what I mean when I say a pacifist person and, and what I, what I don't mean by that as well and things like that. So, um, I know I'm, I'm kind of babbling right now, but one, one thing that people generally do, and I think that you may have some good insights on this, if I tell a person that I, um, I'm at least striving to be a pacifist. I, I don't know that I would always make the right choice, but at least I'm striving for it. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: the the immediate question people always want to ask is, well, what about Hitler? What about Stalin? Um, you know, uh, And people don't generally ask those questions of pacifists for any other reason than to prove them wrong. <laughs> yeah, they aren't, they aren't usually asking. Um, but I'd love to get your I'd love to get some of your thoughts on this. I know you've done some preparation and, and some deep thinking about, um, you know, things like just war and just see kind of where our conversation takes us.
1: Well, can we go back to the imprecatory Psalms for a minute? Cause I, I wanted yeah. to offer a couple of thoughts on those because I, I think it is an interesting thing and it, it is jarring when you get to those psalms and you know you're reading along and you know you get a psalm about how great God is and oh I love your forgiveness and then let's go kill everyone and then <laughs> back to God's goodness. Uh, what I would do with those, uh, I, let, let me see if I can off, offer a couple of thoughts because I, I, it's a fascinating issue to me and one that I've, I've thought about prior to this conversation uh, on a number of occasions. I think that there's a couple of things we need to take away from that. First would be that as you were talking about, you know, kind of the emotions that you felt after nine 11, um, that there is this valid emotion that comes into the human experience and what we do with it can be right or wrong, but the emotion itself is just there. It's part of what it means to be human, that we get struck with this desire for vengeance, this desire for justice and, you know, to see evil be torn down and all of this. And I think it's important that the Bible takes time to give that emotion voice in its rawest, most powerful, most uh, almost stomach-churning form. Uh, And I think there's something very powerful about that, that even an emotion like that is validated in a sense by the, uh, by scripture. Hmm. Uh, but I would say it's equally important that it's not left there. Right. Because I think that what the scriptures ultimately do with those is that I look at those Psalms as ultimately looking forward to God's uh, justice. Hmm. To uh, They're almost become eschatological in a sense where you, I see them as looking forward to the time where God will put everything to right, mm-hmm. um, that there are evil people and there are, <clears throat> whether it's Al-Qaeda or, you know, the Philistines or whatever you have or, you know, the Romans at the time of Jesus or or what have you, uh, evil people, evil nations are a fact in our world. And whatever we're supposed to do with them temporally, ultimately, uh, whether it's you know, something like just war or pacifism or, you know, whatever our response, whatever the appropriate response is for us in the here and now, uh, we need to have that eschatological vision to look forward and say, I do have this desire for justice. I do have this desire to see the uh, Al-Qaeda hijackers be brought uh, to justice. And that rather than letting that desire poison me, rather than letting it, fuel me towards anger and hatred and other negative emotions i'm gonna recognize that it's god who will ultimately put all evil things whether it's al-qaeda you know my own sin the holocaust what have you mm-hmm. will take all that evil has taken it upon himself and at the in at the end of the age we'll put all of it to right hmm.
0: and that's and that's a good perspective um I guess I would say ultimately, and that's how I generally would would now look at those psalms. My my stumbling block is that I don't think that's where they were. I think they were honestly, oftentimes, when those songs were written, let's go get them now, let's destroy them, let's let's uh, you know. And so that's and I guess that's where my, my I have a hard time with a lot of the in light of Christ, a lot of our understanding of some of the Old Testament passages. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, it's just an interesting one to come back to again and again, and it's another one that reminds me I don't have it all figured out at <laughs> <Right>. the <laughs> same time, right. but I want to be respectful of it and know that, that it's there, and and it's been canonized, and it's there for me. Um, but but again, I try to look at all things in light of who Jesus is, if I really believe that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and that um, in Him, we see uh, you know, there's oftentimes we, we see the words of Jesus being given to us as a way to almost correct our understanding of Scripture, you know, whether it be, you know, you've heard it said um, – he, he will often have these scenarios. You've heard it said, but I say to you, you know, and well, he'll he'll initially give the Scripture and say, but I say to you, you know, how even if something is uh, like how many times should I forgive my brother? And Peter thought he was being real generous with, you know um, – with seven times, you know, which was over and above what they actually were called to do by the law. And Jesus says, No, not not seven, seventy times seven and as if to say, Don't ever stop, you know, and, and so it's an interesting way of of looking at scripture in light of Christ. So um I, I get uh, I get a lot of, of a lot of flack under this topic and um, and maybe rightfully so maybe I should but in, in some way I feel like as a, a person who is a, a Christian and someone who pastors it should be my responsibility uh, to be prophetic as much as I can and what I mean by that is not that I'm you know not not the wrong understanding of the meaning of being prophetic of where we're looking in the future, and you know, blowing candles and you know, all kinds of stuff, you know. Uh, but being prophetic in the sense of trying to speak for God, you know, and and listening to God's voice and being prophetic and bringing His word in the midst of situations. Uh, l- let me give a quick scenario if I could, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Ben. Sure. I was thinking about this recently because uh my understanding of the kingdom of God is uh that the kingdom of God transcends all other empires. That Jesus in fact we, we made the earliest the earliest statement of Christian faith is Jesus is Lord. it wasn't a spiritual statement it was a political statement it was saying that he is Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Um, we could take it and and take it to many extremes today name your country, name your ruler. they are not Lord Jesus is uh, right down to the United States not Lord Jesus is. Um, so it's interesting that Jesus was killed not because he was getting people saved so they could go to heaven after they died. Jesus was killed because he was saying the government is truly not the power that's in charge. Um, The the government is not Lord. And as as I have struggled with this and what it means for the kingdom of God to be something uh, as a politic of its own, um, something where the citizens of the kingdom of God live differently than the citizens of every other kingdom in the world, um, I think about the ways in my church in particular – Um, They have times of honoring every year, the 4th of July, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, um, all days that had to do with in some form of military action. Um, And my question is, in this scenario, why don't we have a day in the church, at least uh, in many of our churches, and they may do a better job in the Catholic Church, of honoring peacemakers, people who actually had – The mind of Christ and the heart of Christ at at hand, you know, for not for not taking up arms (laughs) or things like that. You offer that idea in the conversation and it's like, uh, whoa, what are you crazy? And and I'm like, no, because we don't have anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus would say to honor those other things. So I'd love to get your thoughts on, say, that scenario and um, maybe how the church could be a little more faithful in its things that it honors, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a valid over, uh, thing to point out that's been been overlooked. I think the way that I would look at it would be if we're going to honor things in the church, we need to honor things uh, that are done with the intent of protecting life. And to me, that doesn't exclude the military. Uh, and This is where I'm, I'm not a pacifist uh, because I do believe that military action is sometimes needed in order to defend life, in order to maximize uh, the protection of innocent life. But I think it can also mean people who work for nonviolent resistance and nonviolent solutions to those problems. Uh, I think that the two need to go hand in hand, and that when we honor the military, we need to make sure that we are honoring them both for their sacrifice and their commitment to civil service, uh, but also for what they do in the defense of life. And uh, if the military isn't doing that, you know, if if their actions are not done for the defense of life, then the church's appropriate response ought to be criticism. Uh, And so I think that the ethic needs to become in terms of who do we honor Uh, it needs to be, we need to honor those who are working in one form or another to maximize the protection of life in our world. And yes, that needs to include people who are peacekeepers, who are nonviolent resistors, who are, you know, the Gandhis, the Martin Luther Kings, uh, people like that, who offer us uh, those ways as well for protecting life.
0: Very interesting now, maybe you could because I think you actually had had um a, a good understanding of this. Could you help us understand um augustine's uh just war theory and because you had just mentioned before that you know the military could be a part of actually protecting life and uh would would you be able to to do that are you prepared if i put you on the spot
1: uh i i am let me let me just uh because I want to make sure that I get the, the conditions that Augustine and Aquinas have. Uh, okay, here, I've, I've got them. Uh, okay, so just war is not original with somebody like Augustine, but he's the one who popularizes it in terms of the Christian sense. Okay. And the idea is, if we're going to have war as a reality of our world, which may or may not be uh, a premise that we accept, uh, you know I don't know where you would land on that as somebody who's attempting to be a pacifist. For my own part, I would say that, yes, it is a part of our world, uh, not in a good way, but it's simply the reality of where we live. What constitutes a justly fought war? And Augustine offers a few initial thoughts on this, but it's really Thomas Aquinas who comes along in the, the scholastic era and outlines uh, three distinct – um, criteria for what makes a just war and I I don't have the, catech- the modern Catholic catechism up in front of me at the moment uh, but I, I know that uh, their criteria are very similar actually I'll go ahead and plug the sci-fi Christian here our recent episode uh, <laughs> death by superheroes I, I did have all the different criteria up in front of me from different times so if you want to hear a more complete listing of all of this uh you can check it out here but i'll I'll stick with uh saint thomas for the moment
0: all right (laughs) sounds good
1: so he says first that war must occur for good uh and just purpose rather than for self-gain or as an exercise of power so in other words it's not just to go to war in order to expand our lands in order to show off our new shiny weapons in order to uh you know if we decide that Canada has some amazing resource and, and we just need to get it from those Canadians, you know, it's not just for us to go and invade our northern neighbors or, or whatever. Uh, so that would be number one. Second, uh, a just war must be waged pro- by properly instituted authority, such as the state. So really going along with oh, – I think it's in Romans, but I might be wrong on that, where it's Paul Romans or – yeah talking about how the state has been given the sword by God uh a sense that we're not gonna be mercenaries, so uh the state is given that authority by God, not that it always uses it well, but that if a war is to be justly waged, we don't just go do it as mercenaries, you know you don't fly over to al Qaeda and start taking on uh Osama bin Laden team America style or w- whatever it would be. Uh, And then third, that peace must be the central motive. Hmm. So in other words, war may be entered into with the idea that this is the only option for preserving life, but the goal must be to not prolong war but to get through it for the sake of reestablishing peace.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. Um, And as I was kind of reading up on Augustine's just war theory too, there's, there's some things I really appreciate about it. Um, and there's that there, uh, what was it saying? Um, the, the part I was reading is basically, um, a few things that I maybe would take issue with him on, uh, in his just, well, not just Augustine again, Aquinas and different others, but one of them, um, simply because it, it, it smacks a little bit of Gnosticism to me, uh, as I was reading some of the just war theory, uh, and it has to do with uh, the act of killing in itself is not evil, since all persons will eventually die anyway. And um, and and when I when I talk about the Gnostic aspect of that, I'm not saying that Aquinas uh, or Augustine were were Gnostics or <laughs> I'm certainly not saying that. Um, but the idea that sometimes we think about with the idea that you know it being spelled out, the killing's not evil because we're all going to die anyway. Right. Uh, and it's sort of like. Um, it's sort of like some people's view on environmental the environment, you know, it's like well, it's all yep. just going to be destroyed anyway, so just get rid of the trees and <laughs> things like that. That seems to be some way that it's I guess is often interpreted, you know, to people, and that's that's partially where I have um, a difficulty when it comes to it. Um my my thoughts on the matter, let me let me describe this a little bit and we'll get into the The more I'd love to have a conversation back and forth about this. Um, My view is until about the first 200 years of Christianity, um, we don't have any writings from any Christians um, that have any other view other than a pacifist view. Um, There's no record of any Christian writer um, uh, approving participating in war until Constantine. Uh, In 330. Um, We have uh, people like Tertullian in 204, and and this is just a a quote from Tertullian in his writing De Corona. Uh, Should it be held lawful to make an occupation of the sword when the Lord proclaims that he who uses the sword shall perish by the sword? And shall the Son of Peace take battle when it does not become him to even sue in the law courts? And shall he apply the chain in the prison and the torture and the punishment? Who is not the avenger even of his own wrongs? Shall he keep guard before the temples which he has renounced? Shall he carry a flag too, hostile to Christ? Um, and so then we have around the time of, of Augustine coming in and taking power and using the cross like a good luck charm, running into battles. Uh, among all of his other gods, he believed when he started um, adding Christ.
1: You mean Constantine there?
0: Our, yeah, did I say Augustine?
1: You did. I just want to make it clear that. Because
0: I'm no, 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 a Augustine no. nerd. No, so. no, not Augustine. Two he, completely he had
1: different people. So.
0: <laughs> completely different people. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Constantine, I'm sorry. In about, uh, you know, whenever he came to power for the first time, uh, you know, he had this deathbed baptism. Uh, never really was a Christian. He added it to his. Um, he added it to his cacophony of gods that he already had because it seemed like every time he carried a cross into war, he won more battles. Um, but for the first time uh, with with Constantine, the Christianity went from being an outlawed religion that was very pacifistic to all of a sudden a religion that had the interest of the empire in mind, um, which to me uh, – Talks directly in contrast to the statement Jesus is Lord, because now we say, again, Jesus is Lord, and so is Rome, or Jesus is Lord, and so is the United States, or Jesus is Lord, and so is whatever country we may be a part of at the time. And so, I I guess part of my reasoning for I want to go back a little further than than Augustine and, and Aquinas, even when I look at you know. Um, it doesn't seem like the just war theory came about until the church joined itself with empire again. So what are your thoughts on that? I'm just curious. That's kind of where, where my perspective is.
1: Oh, yeah. Now, I mean you're absolutely right that the early church writers are completely pacifistic in uh, their outlook. I suppose that where I would come if, from a Catholic perspective uh, would be that, well, I – don't necessarily disagree with anything you've said about Constantine. I also don't think it's necessarily the whole story from a Catholic perspective. Um, and maybe that's an entirely different podcast. So I don't know how much we sure. get into sure. the Constantine can of worms uh, at the moment, but I <laughs> I, I would see there being some very, very positive aspects to that as well in terms of the church's influence and in terms of, you um, what the success of the gospel in terms of it spreading into the Roman empire. So I I would say that it's, I look at Constantine's conversion as a very mixed bag Mm -hmm. and that extends to this issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a mixed bag in the sense where people now use something like just war theory to justify a whole bunch of horrible wars Uh, right up until the present day we see that taking place and so in that sense it's a negative development where i see it becoming a positive development is that within catholic theology theology tends to be a bit occasional in the sense where issues aren't really addressed until they need to be addressed until they become controversial Mm -hmm. and the issue of how do christians as a people handle war uh I would argue is pretty much a non-issue for the first 200 years of Christianity because of Christianity's social status. It's only when the emperor converts and now you have the Roman Empire endorsing Christianity and you have soldiers who are Christians and this becomes very widespread that the church needs to address the issue. And that's where I as a Catholic would come in and say that I think the Holy Spirit guides those occasions as they come up and it guides the church in all of its wisdom and and in its conclusions that it reaches on those issues now i'm very aware that that is not a convincing argument for somebody who is uh in the protestant camp uh because i'm appealing to the holy spirit guiding church tradition in a a, an authoritative sense uh i do think though that regardless of whether you're coming at this from a catholic or a protestant perspective that the early church fathers do deserve to be heard they deserve respect and whether you are more with them on this issue as you are or you are more on the just for side as as maybe i am i think that what they need to do is call us to remember that christianity is about recognizing jesus as lord and that it is about maximizing life and that Just war, whether it's a good idea or bad, can never and should never be used to justify us going to war for whatever we want. Right. Yeah, and and too often that has been the case.
0: And I agree with you. And I I think actually it was interesting when I – I remember having a systematic theology class, and we were talking through the just war theory, and we had basically gone through – uh, step by step, you know, kind of everything in that theory and had decided that there basically had never been one <laughs> like <laughs> like from from the and especially when it concerns um, protecting the innocent, uh, because wars historically have always um, uh, amassed the deaths of as many innocents, if not more, in some cases, like in the Gulf War, uh, where actually we were taking more innocent life than we were military life. Uh, which it's it which is always an interesting thing, um, and I love getting together with like theology buddies and talking about it because we're kind of like, huh, so if you really were going to take you know, the just war theory, which which sounds really good on paper. Um, I'm not sure if one of those has ever really happened, you know, <laughs> it's kind right. and that's exactly when the question is asked, well, what about Hitler? You know, what about Stalin? What about different things like that? And, um, and, and it's an always an interesting conversation. I'm not sure anybody has the answers on it. And I always want to come at it with enough humility to say, again, Lord, teach me, um, you know, Holy Spirit guide our conversation and, and guide us in what we do, um, so it's it's not like one that we're going to wrap up today and, and figure it all out. And uh, the problem is precisely that we often enter into conversations without humility and without a teachable spirit too. Um, but you know, I guess my whole goal is is I want to find out exactly. Uh, not only just to believe in Christ, but I want to believe in the things that Christ believed in, as He was a, <laughs> a man on earth, and the things that Christ still believes in, you know. And uh, I want to figure out how that lives out not only in my own life, but communally in all of in all of life, and and what that means. So whether it's a a plant, a bug, an animal of some sort, um, animal sacrifices, going to war, I, I really want to ask the question: What does it mean to be a faithful follower of Jesus in the way that I treat this life, and um, I, I'm very aware of the fact that, you know, we we serve a Lord who who even has words like even when you hate your brother, you're killing them, you know, and uh, it's it's not just a matter of. Um, of of just actually killing them, Christ calls us to account for ourselves. Of when we say we hate somebody, and that right. that in God's eyes we're doing that same thing. And um, so it's a it's a big conversation that that deserves to be entered to much more than it is. My fear and where I have seen it happen again and again is we want to talk the Jesus talk until it comes down to our country going to war. And then we're expected nothing less than absolute um, obedience to everything, no matter what, because the country says it's for it. And patriotism would say, well, you got to follow that. And uh, and that that's where I really find the gospel uh, comes to a rub, I guess I would say. I really have a hard time with that understanding where um, I, I don't think that um, – again, we talked about the – the uh, The governments of the world, the military, willing the sword, uh, so to speak, that, that God has given, I, I'm not sure that we can look at the two as the same thing, you know um, and, and especially Romans thirteen we're often told to submit to the authorities, and Paul did submit to the point that it got him killed. And uh, but Paul didn't retaliate, and so I I come with all those things, and I and I I basically come with the the words of a Rich Mullins song, and say it's hard to be like Jesus. <laughs>
1: you <know>? Yes, indeed,
0: <laughs> it really is. So um, well, well,
1: I think that you're right too. That um, it becomes very problematic when it, it it's simply that you know we're going to war, and so now we have this duty to defend everything. And I think even if it is. Uh, even if we were to determine it's a just-war scenario, which, you know, you mentioned World War II, uh, which I would say is certainly a just-war scenario. I think we also need to think complexly about that and say, was everything done within World War II done justly? Uh, and on that, I would say no.
0: No, right. You,
1: you know, I would say the use of nuclear weapons is not just. Uh, the use uh, when you know, the fire bombings, that was not just. Things that were done that were maybe effective from a military strategic point of view, but didn't have that goal of peace didn't uh, maximize the protection of life. And so I I think that part of what needs to happen in terms of, especially those of us who do hold to a, a just war understanding is to say, it's not simply, well, the reasons we're going into the war met our three or four criteria. So we're good to go from here on out. <laughs> uh, it's like, okay, now that we're in it, we need to have an even more strident uh, perspective in terms of calling our strategies, calling our, our methods into account uh, because you can fight it. You can go into a just war and then proceed to fight it very unjustly.
0: Sure. That's very true. It's interesting. You mentioned the, the weapons and all I, I'm reading a book right now. Um, which you you might actually like, even though you're not a big fan of Superman. Uh, <laughs> but but the book is called Superman: An Unauthorized Biography of the Man of Steel. Yeah. And the, the thing that makes this book interesting is it's actually going through uh, from the time that Superman was created and kind of looking at. Uh, American life and how it's changed between now and then and kind of the evolution of the character and how it's changed with the way that American life has changed different things has happened and there was a passage in the book I was reading back during World War II it was in 1944 and they were about to publish a story where Lex Luthor had created an atom bomb and uh, he was getting ready to drop it and the US came in and had a talk with DC and said you're not going to publish this (laughs) because we don't want to be seen (laughs) Uh, doing the things that the villain is doing in the comics and uh, it's it's a very interesting thing they basically came in and censored them and said said nope if it makes us look bad you're not doing it and uh, they, they ended up publishing it after the war later on but i thought that was very interesting that even you know when you're getting to uh in the realm of comic books because they said one in four superman comics were sent to military people who were fighting in world war ii at that time so uh very very interesting stuff um. Well I forget what I was going to say other than that Other than I did want to share a quick story and, and maybe this will be a way for us to kind of wrap up our conversation Um, I, I always think that we need to think uh, In terms of the kingdom of God And what that means And uh, ultimately our first and final allegiance Is in the kingdom of God And, and many people throughout history have died um, For the cause of Jesus And uh, in, in one way or another and I was reading a story by one of my favorite theologians. Uh, his name's William Willimon. He's actually a bishop in the the Methodist Church. And years ago, in the '80s, um, he was being asked by a group of students. He was te- teaching at Duke University at the time, and he was being asked a question um, about should uh, should we invade Libya? Because it was the time when when Libya had some had taken hostages and and uh, they just kind of caught him off guard and asked him you know should we send the military in should we should we strike and and uh, and take over you know go in there and and his initial response to them was yes uh i i suppose god would have us do that that would be you know the just thing to do and he said he went home and he couldn't sleep that night and he it, he was just kind of kept up all night long and he was praying uh, Lord how should I have answered that question <laughs> you know I, what what would be a godly response and he came back and he found the same group of students the next day and he said I want you to know I think I answered that question incorrectly yesterday mm-hmm. he said if if I was to answer in the way that I think God would have us answer this I think I would say um, the United Methodist Church that I'm a part of, we're going to immediately send over 500 missionaries um, over into Libya, and we will do our best to make converts for the Kingdom of God and uh, and to alleviate suffering. And the students start yelling back, "Yeah, yeah, you're wrong. Reagan will never let you. You know, and Reagan never let missionaries go into Libya." And he said, "You're right, but it's not because the United States won't let us. He said it's because I'm a part of a church." Um, That has forgotten completely uh, about how to live out the kingdom of God. And it's just easier to send missiles rather than missionaries. And uh, and I so I've always kind of come back to that story and thought, isn't that interesting? You know, we we need to have um, we need to have in mind what it means to serve as the kingdom of God. Uh, Lord maybe you're calling me to someplace like that (laughs) and do i do i say yes you know do i go in the name of jesus and say i would rather die than take your life you know uh, do i do i do it like christ in the way of laying down my life for the good of another so um anyway any any kind of closing thoughts that was kind of a story i was thinking about closing with but
1: um, yeah, that's a, an excellent story, and I especially appreciate the humility involved mm. with being able to walk into a room and admit you're wrong the next day, because yeah. whatever the issue, that is not easy to do. Yeah. Um, I think the, where I would leave it is uh, to throw out a, recommend, a book recommendation that uh, is not directly what we were talking about, but is related to it in terms of this whole sense of – Jesus is Lord and divorcing our Christianity a bit from our cultural identity in the sense, not in a dualistic sense, but in the sense of recognizing that uh, we don't just get to slap a Christian label on whatever we do as Western Christians and and call it good enough. Um, A book I read recently, uh, which is absolutely fascinating, by uh, New York Times op-ed columnist Ross Douthat called Bad Religion. I don't know if you're familiar with it at all.
0: Yeah, I've read a little bit of it. I haven't gotten through it yet, though.
1: Okay, but yeah, the first half of the book, he kind of goes through the last 75 years of uh, Christian history in America, and then the second half of the book, he lays out what he sees as four prominent Christian heresies, Um, and it's an absolute brilliant read and very convicting, you know, because he'll start out with describing a heresy that is seems like a no-brainer that yeah this is screwed up and everything but then as he really digs into it you realize wow some of my own cultural preconceptions lead me in this direction uh even though i might not be part of the more explicit version of it uh some of my own cultural uh baggage leads me to maybe abandon my faith in small ways I didn't even notice and sign on to this heresy. And one of the ones he mentions that is very prominent to what we've talked about today is the failure to make a distinction between America and Christianity, between the kingdom of God and uh, our nation. And on the surface, that seems really obvious, but as you dig into, well, our own preconceptions and our own The nitty gritty parts of our belief, I think that we all eventually wind up at some level tending to confuse the two. Sure. Uh, Whether it's, you know, my guy's in power, so things are finally going to be good in the world, or my guy's not in power, so everything's just, you know, going to hell in a handbasket, or whatever whatever the case may be, we wind up in problematic areas very quickly uh, when we fail to make that distinction. So, Bad Religion by Ross Dowd. That I think if people have enjoyed this conversation and it's got them to think, they they would benefit a lot from uh, reading his book.
0: Yeah, I and I have a couple of recommendations as well. Um, but it's interesting when when you said that um, I got into all kinds of trouble earlier this year during the um, during the election of. Uh, well, when was it? Twenty twelve? We just had the presidential election. Yeah,
1: we're almost half done with twenty thirteen. Oh Time to That's, flip that calendar, Rick.
0: That seems like years ago, doesn't <laughs> it, man? Um, but I remember um, at one point I was writing some things on on Facebook because uh, Billy Graham had like come out really strongly advocating for Mitt Romney, and uh, there was a big, you know, newspaper thing about it, and I wrote some stuff, you know, reminding. Uh, on my Facebook page saying, you know what, um, as ministers and as people of the kingdom of God, you know, we need to be the prophetic voice too and not the sponsors of, uh, you know, <laughs> candidates right. in life. And I thought it was interesting, you know, uh, again, we we so often, you know, for the first time in history, um, you know, like uh, not not to point out Billy Graham, let's face it, it's Franklin and his organization because Billy Graham is in pretty poor health. But, you know, like on their website, they removed Mormons from the list of cults uh, for the election time because they wanted to make sure their candidate got in. And so I had called out a few things like that that I was – Kind of going. Okay, wait. Let's remember who we serve here. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. and
0: uh, And I got in a lot of trouble. And to this day, people in my church thought I voted for Obama, and I and I, and I didn't. Just to let listeners know. But um, it, it was just an interesting thing because we so often overlap those things, and we often think, well, if a Christian said it, that's it, you know. Um, so I think I, I think I also want to recommend that book you're reading because sometimes um, in the church we we jump onto political bandwagons rather than the kingdom of God. Um, but let me, let me end with two recommendations as well. Uh, one is, uh, by a fellow Catholic Ben, uh, which I, if I'm sure you've read Thomas Merton, but if you haven't, uh, man, you've got to read some Thomas Merton. Good stuff. Um, his book, Faith and Violence, uh, Christian Teaching and Christian Practice, um, and it has to do with, uh, kind of historically and some things that were happening at the time. Merton has passed away, uh, but he's actually talking about, um some ideas of uh, towards a fresh theology of resistance that has to do with alleviating suffering and uh, he one quote from the book he talks about um during the Vietnam War there was a Buddhist nun in Vietnam and she said you Americans uh, come to help the Vietnamese people but bring only death and destruction most of us Vietnamese Hate from the bottom of our hearts the Americans who have brought the suffering of this war after which she burned herself to death. Um, and, and, and so Merton goes and addresses things like this, some really difficult um, topics some really difficult things and what it means to live this out in Jesus' name, what it means to um, kind of face the world head on. He's a great spiritual writer. He's a great writer on prayer. Um, and a great guide in that, a welcome companion on the road. So, if you get to read "Faith and Violence" by Thomas Merton, it's a very good read. He even talks about then um, some of the problems that we're having today with the news media, and uh, and the way that you know what'll happen if it turns into merely entertainment. And making money versus telling the truth, and uh, and I'm reading it and I'm going, whoa, did he That's just write dramatic. this? Yeah, didn't he just write this yesterday? <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but he's actually been dead for I think nearly two decades now. Uh, the other one that has actually been a very good and a very big help for me um, is by Robert W. Sorry, Robert W. Brimlow, and uh, this book is called What About Hitler? Wrestling with Jesus' call to nonviolence in an evil world, and uh, I just found it to be a very helpful companion along the way um i've I've heard people say um, you know if you're going to be a pacifist uh, then be one and you're going to get attacked like crazy but the more you get attacked uh, hopefully it'll make you more peaceful <laughs> and uh, and uh, I- I'm hopefully finding that to be true and that's been a welcome companion on the journey but of course I would also you know recommend people read some Augustine as well I'm not I'm not anti-Augustine in any way I find myself more at home with people like Tertillion oftentimes but I certainly do glean some uh, some wonderful truths from him. So, uh, so Ben, thank you so much for having this conversation today. I feel like we've only scratched the surface of what we could, and uh, there are probably greater minds than mine that could have a conversation with you about this. But uh, thank you for taking time to be one of the voices in my head today.
1: Well, thanks for having me on. It's always uh, a pleasure, and uh, we, we have great conversations whenever we do this. Yeah.
0: For sure. Well, I'll uh, be listening to you on the Sci-Fi Christian cod, uh, podcast. I almost said podcast It's not a podcast. <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't talk about cod that I know. Of. Unless, uh, not yet, anyway. Unless you're having a special fish episode coming up. <laughs> maybe that maybe that could work into your Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy episode. You know, your thanks for all the fish. You can. Do. There you go. Um, okay, let me say that again. Thank you, Ben, from the Sci-Fi Christian podcast, for being my guest on Voices in My Head today. Blessings, brother.
1: Thanks. You too, Rick.
0: Well, that just about does it for our show today. I just wanted to let you know that coming up, I think next week is when we're going to be able to work this out. We're going to do a joint podcast between the Sci-Fi Christian Podcast and Voices in My Head. Because, as you know... I'm sure you have to know this The new Superman movie is coming out This Friday, Man of Steel And uh, I could not be more excited about it I have been waiting on this for years Literally, I've been watching the progress Following along um, Waiting for something good to come of Superman Because he's one of my favorite heroes And I just don't think we've had a good representation Of him in film Maybe since the second Christopher Reeve Superman movie And uh, so I'm really excited about this um, We we all love uh, Superman superhero stuff even though ben and matt at the sci-fi christian are not the biggest superman fans i think we're going to have a good time discussing him and his history and uh this movie that came out specifically seeing if there's any redeeming qualities to it so be on the lookout for that hopefully that's going to be coming to you very soon other than that hope i'll see some of you in indianapolis on the 21st at 11 o'clock a.m in the convention center god bless you and thank you for listening to voices in my head you've been listening to voices in my head the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in the my head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.